back in the 1500s are so relevant today. We talk about all the things that are going on and we just cannot forget that our God reigns. So whatever you're going through and whatever your situation might be, look to Him. Look to Him. That's the only place you'll find answers. Could we pray for just a moment? Father, we think about the turmoil that Martin Luther faced when he wrote that last song. And we think about running for our lives and Christians being executed for believing the gospel. And we think about the political pressure that they faced. And we think about the uncertainty. We think about their lack of understanding and lack of communication. uh, Things that we take for granted now. And we remember that you saw your people through then. And you'll see us through now. Our God does not change. And therefore, we will not be shaken. And so, Lord, I pray for people who are sick. I pray for people who are under financial strain. I pray for people who are going through relationship problems. I pray for people who are facing the uncertainty of the future and it frightens them. And I pray, Lord, that today all of us would find our hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness and remember that you are our living hope. We got enough out of the song service this morning to make us want to, as Papa Sam used to say, attack hell with a water pistol. And yet so many times we find ourselves frail and weak. And that frailty and that weakness and even our failures remind us that we must never trust in ourselves. We must never trust in other people who are among us. We've got to look to you. Forgive us when we don't. And help us, be gracious to us, so that we will. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? Go ahead and be seated now, and let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 7. And uh, we are going to see something kind of change in this particular chapter. So far in the book of Exodus, we've seen the birth of Moses and him having to be hidden in the bulrushes and those type of things. And then we saw him as he grew up and identified with his people. And then he killed an Egyptian, had to run for his life. I mean, nothing looks real great for this man. And it doesn't look real great for the children of Israel who have been enslaved, enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. Well, then a burning bush happens, and God shows up to call Moses to set his people free. But you don't see Moses responding in faith or in any kind of excitement, but in great reluctance. And then when he finally does go to Egypt, he goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh basically says, get out and get the people back to work and make it even harder on them. And Moses, even as he prays to God, he says, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Why is this happening? You sent me here to do this and nothing's happened. Pharaoh's heart is hardened and the workload has gotten worse on the people. It must have been a very confusing time for him and for the, the slaves in Israel. And I've thought about how often we do not understand the times in which we live because we can't understand the plan and the purpose of God. We can't see into all of that. And that's where faith comes in. We've got to trust Him and we've got to trust the promises of His Word in spite of what we feel or what we see all around us. Well, we live in challenging times. I think we would all agree. Things that make sense to you and things that make sense to me, they don't seem to be making sense to about half the country, do they? Things that we understand and things that we would be able to look and say, 
when there's injustice under our Constitution, you have every right to protest. That is a granted right from God that is expressed in the Constitution. We must speak up for justice sake. But when it crosses over to criminal activity and looting and stealing and hurting other people, that's where we also have to draw a line, don't we? And we look at that and we say, why can't everybody see that? Why can't other people understand this? And we watch our nation as it uh, has the threat, at least, of kind of falling into an anarchy where nothing makes sense. And we wonder when that happens, where is God? Where is this sovereign God? Where is this king? In Jeremiah chapter 14, Jeremiah kind of had the same problem. As he goes before God, he's saying, where are your covenant people? Where are you? And he makes a statement in there. He goes, why are you like a traveler? You know, if somebody is traveling through Oklahoma City, they don't really care about what happens after they leave. They're going home. They're concerned about their homeland. They don't stop and vote on our taxes, vote for our local officials. Why? They're not citizens here. They're just travelers passing through. He said, why are you like a stranger that, you know, is coming through, you pitch your tent, you stay for a few days, and you pack up and leave? God, why are you acting like that? And then he makes this statement. Why are you like a mighty man who cannot save? You know, wouldn't it be terrible if you were in a situation where somebody was mugging you and you cried out and somebody came along and I mean they were about six foot five, 280 pounds of pure muscle and they come to your rescue, you think? And then to your dismay, they just stand to the side and watch as you get pummeled. That'd be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? And Jeremiah said, God, you're acting like a mighty man who cannot save. I got a feeling that's what Moses was saying at the end of chapter 6. Where's the power? Where's the plan? Where's the execution of this? And everything looks, from a human standpoint, at the end of 6, kind of tenuous. It looks like this may not turn out well. What's going on? But chapter 7, God flexes his muscle. And boy, is it ever powerful. And I want us to start reading in verse 1. And I uh, want you to, to notice how the tone changes completely. Now, Moses and Aaron have been to Pharaoh before, but they didn't walk in there with a lot of victory and with a lot of power and a lot of faith. In fact, if you'll remember... Back before, when they went to Pharaoh, they didn't exactly say everything that God told them to say. They kind of modified it. And I just want to say to you, whenever you get to the point where you think you have a better word than God does, you're in trouble. And whenever you think you have to modify God's word, the Bible, whenever you think you have to make it more palatable or um, understandable, you know, in a way that would please the world, you've lost your power. You've lost your authority. We've got to stand on the Word of God as God has given it to us because there's our power. And I want you to notice it'll be mentioned in here a couple of times that Moses and Aaron this time, they say A-L-L, all that God had told them. And I don't think it's any coincidence that when the man of God speaks the Word of God, things begin to change. We always stand on the word of God. So let's begin reading in verse 1. 
So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you not God, but as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord had commanded him, them, so they did. See the difference? And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, And when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers of Egypt, of course. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Don't ever think the devil can't work a miracle and don't ever believe that all miracles are of God, right? Verse 12. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Somebody say amen to that. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And he did not heed them. But is this Pharaoh being in control and messing with everything? Is Pharaoh putting a stick in the spokes of the bicycle? Nope. Just so you understand, his, he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So who's in control? When you look at all of this, it may not be going according to the agenda that the slaves would want. If I were a slave, I would want instant freedom, wouldn't you? It may not go the way Moses had wanted. If I were Moses and I were proclaiming that, I'd want it to be done that day. But God has another plan. In fact, it says in this verse that God is actually the one that hardened Pharaoh's heart because God said, I've got some things I want to do and a compliant Pharaoh is not going to fit into that plan. He's going to harden his heart because I have hardened his heart and he is going to resist because that is what the plan is so that I may li liberate my people with a mighty hand with judgments, ten plagues, and it's going to be happening in the timing of God, right? And when it's all said and done, even the Egyptians are going to know that Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, is the Lord. And so as the Lord is showing his superiority, let's think about four ways in these verses that he shows it because it is still true today. First of all, I want you to notice that God 
is the one who controls his servants. Moses was not looking for a job. Moses was not applying and sending in his resume to be the deliverer of Israel. He tried that once. It didn't work. Now he's content to be in obscurity, hiding in the backside of the desert, hoping that no Egyptian ever shows up to take him into justice because he had murdered that one Egyptian back then. He's pretty happy to keep his name out of the limelight, out of the spotlight, and just to keep his father-in-law's sheep. But it was God who showed up, and it was God who called Moses, just as God calls you and he calls me. It is God who says, this is what I want you to do. We don't get a choice in that, and we're not the ones that come to God and say, this is what I want to do and demand it of the Lord. It is the Lord who calls us. Whenever I think about that, I think about those wonderful verses in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 4, when that prophet was being called and he said, I can't do what you want me to do. I'm, I'm too young. I'm not qualified. And it says in Jeremiah 1, 4, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified or set you apart. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Boy, that ought to have given Jeremiah a lot of confidence. A lot of confidence for you and for me as well to know. Whatever it is that the Lord has equipped us and called us to do, that was not on a whim. That was not because of us. That was not because of anyone else. That was because of God. God is the one who calls us and ordains us. And notice that he did it even before Jeremiah was formed in the womb. This is a calling from eternity past that is now put upon Jeremiah. This is a calling from eternity past that is now put upon Moses. Moses, I called you and you obey me. And I'm going to empower you so much that Pharaoh is going to see you with godlike status because you are going to be my ambassador, my spokesman, and you are going to speak the truth of my word to the king of Egypt, and there's going to be a showdown, and we know who is going to win, don't we? Because God controls his servants. When we look around at our nation today, we need some people who will stand up, who will speak up and influence other people to the truth. If that ever happens, trust me, it'll be because God ordained it, not because you and I voted for it. It'll be because God planned it, not because some political party or some caucus got together and did it. This is something that happens of the Lord. And we have to trust Him. When the time comes, a David will show up to slay Goliath. When the time comes, a Pharisee will get saved and write most of the New Testament as Paul did. But that is all by the choice of God and the plan of God. And even the servants of God don't control that. God does. It's God who does this work. Secondly, will you notice that God also controls kings? Now, kings seem to be in control, and they seem to have an awful lot of power, and they seem to throw their weight around a lot, and the little people seem to say, what can we do against such a mighty king? But that's the wrong perspective. It's not about what can we do in the face of these big problems, in the face of a mighty king, but what can God do because God is mightier than the king? Pharaoh thinks that he's got some power, that he's got some control. But even the condition of his heart is, according to this text, 
controlled by God. God's not asking Pharaoh, what do you want me to do with your heart? God has already said, I will harden his heart. He will not let them go so that I can execute my judgment in the full measure that I have chosen to do because I am in control, not this puny, mortal, limited, weak, frail king of Egypt. Now when you think about that, Think about our president. Think about our governor. Think about our mayor. Think about city councils. Think about judges. Nothing has changed. Romans 13 says the powers that be are ordained of God. They may think that they achieved it, but they didn't. We may think that we have the power through the vote, but we really don't. It's God who is in control. And once they are in power, who is it? that limits what they can do because some people are allowed to do some very evil things some people are allowed to do some very good things some people are restrained from doing good things and it's a little frustrating and thank God many people are restrained from doing the bad things they would really like to do because when it all comes down to it they're not really in control and neither are we the Bible says in Proverbs 21 1 as an illustration of what we read in our text the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Now just breathe a sigh of relief over that. The king's hand is in, heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he, God, wishes. Now there are some times that God allows some pharaohs to come up. There are some times when God brings about some Davids. That's God's call, and God knows what we need, but we can rest assured no matter who sits on the earthly throne, their heart is in the hand of God. And it says, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wills. What is it that makes the course of a river or stream? Time and pressure, erosion. Time and pressure. And through time and pressure, God changes governments, nations, kingdoms, and even kings. And sometimes these kings come with an agenda. Sometimes they come with a godly agenda. Sometimes it's an ungodly agenda. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. And ultimately, who is in control of all of that? Well, if you're a Bible believer, you have to say, it is the Lord. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Number three, notice that God controls the calendar. Thought it was strange that as this story is told, it starts bringing up age. Well, who wants their age brought up? Who wants that? Why are we talking about ages right now? Well, Moses and Aaron being 80 and 83, first of all, it's kind of backwards. Usually the older brother gets to be the boss and gets to be the leader. But in this case, God has chosen the younger brother. Moses is three years younger than Aaron, right? And Aaron is the second banana in this situation. And uh, so that's a little bit backwards, a little bit strange. But also notice, these are not men that would be considered to be in the prime of their life been a long time you wait 80 years before God uses you like this that's a long time Moses has come to the point of his life where he thinks well apparently nothing's going to happen remember he had aspirations of leading some type of revolution to set his people free but it didn't work out 
and then nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing for four decades, I think by that point, even you, as strong as you are in the Lord, you'd probably, uh, uh, you know, by that point be thinking, well, God's either not going to do it and he's certainly not going to do it through me. And then all of a sudden God shows up. Why? Because God controls the calendar. God knows how long you're going to live. He knows when you're going to hit your stride. He knows when you're going to be in your prime. Because physically and uh, through society, Moses may not have been at the prime of his life. And God says, nope, this is it. This is what you were made for, for such a time as this. And as a senior adult, Moses steps up. As a senior adult, Aaron steps up. And oh, what a difference was made by the hand of God through two old men. Praise God that he still uses old men, right? And so there he is. God controls the calendar. He chose the date you were born. He chose the date you're going to die, and it's all recorded. Your life may be long. It may be short. Doesn't really matter. You may be influential. You may be unheard of. You may be the kind of person that when you walk into a room, all the attention is drawn to you. You may be more like scotch tape. You're there, but nobody notices. That's all by the plan of God. And God will weave all of us together. Long lives, short lives, weak people, strong people, influential people, unnoticed people. They're all woven together into that beautiful tapestry that God is putting together that we will see one of these days when we get to heaven. And we'll see how everything fit together. Because this is our God who is in control. Now you go to the... um, Let's see, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 7. And I want you to notice here the times and the seasons. We look on our calendar and we see the time. Today is June 7th of the year 2020. Y2K was two decades ago, folks. Remember that? Time goes by. And as you get older, time seems to go by a little faster sometimes, doesn't it? Here we are, the calendar has changed. We may look back and say, well, all the good things are in the past. That's what old people tend to do. But at the same time, you and I don't get to determine that. Because just as Moses probably thought, the good old days have all passed, what does God have for me now? And then at the age of 80 and 83, Moses and Aaron are used by God. Because in Acts chapter 1 verse 7, when the disciples ask, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice the Lord said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, what's on God's calendar in other words, which the Father has put where? In his own authority. Moses, you may think, that it would have been better for you to have acted when you were 40 and God says, nope, you don't control the calendar. And you and I may be doing the same thing. Oh, I wish I had and why didn't I? And maybe if I were younger and maybe if I had, uh, you know, the, the, the clock turned back, then God could really use me and God would whisper in your ear this morning, you don't get that option. You don't get that option. I control the calendar. The times and the seasons are in my hand. And you are alive now in all of this mess, confusion and turmoil for a purpose. Be a good steward of your time, of your gifts, of your talents. 
and be an influence in this wicked and evil age for the glory of God. And then fourthly, notice that God even controls the supernatural, even the occult. We may look at that and think that maybe the, the, uh, the God of the Bible and the devil are like equals and opposites. Let me tell you, it's not true. The devil is created. He is limited. His power is limited. He only has power, very real power, but it is only given to him by God only as far as God lets it go. And what a great illustration we see in here of why we don't need to be afraid of the devil. We sang that earlier, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. For his rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure, right? And why is that? Because God is the one who has no equal and he has no opposite. And he even controls what the devil does. And notice here that God tells them, when you get before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, show me a miracle, big shots, throw Aaron's rod down on the ground and show him how it becomes a serpent. And you know, Pharaoh is unimpressed, so we can do that. We can do that. And he brings out his sorcerers, his wise men. It's the occult, demonic power. And what do they do? Exactly what Aaron does. And praise God, though, in this story, God shows us something that is so powerful. Yeah, the devil goes, look what I can do. Look what I can do. And he tries to scare, and he tries to impress, and he tries to show off by everything that he does. And the devil will flex his muscle politically sometimes. The devil will flex his muscle in the education system. The devil will flex his muscle in morality. And the devil will flex his muscle in changing everything that God has set down. Whether it's in marriage or gender or whatever it might be. He flexes his muscle and we say, what can we do? And when we proclaim the truth and when we live the truth and when we pray to the God of heaven and worship him and put our faith in him and stand on that solid rock, we are throwing our rod down and it becomes a snake. And then all of a sudden, you know what I would do if I don't like snakes, do you? Anybody a snake lover? Some people are. I don't like them. Only good snake is a dead snake as far as I'm concerned, right? And uh, so then I think about this. Here I am. I'm Aaron. Moses is right over there. And Moses goes, okay, go ahead and throw the, throw the rod down. And we're thinking when we throw the rod down that everybody's going to go, and then they'll give in, right? So I throw it down, and there's that big old snake. And I take a step back. And he's wiggling around over there. And Pharaoh goes, hmm, sorcerers, wise men, come on out. And let's say, the Bible doesn't tell us, but let's say there's 20 of them. And they're standing on the other side. I'm standing in front of Pharaoh. My snake is heading that direction. Twenty wise men and sorcerers come out, throw down their rods. Now I've got twenty snakes heading my direction. Who does it look like one? Who does it look like is really in control? I am kind of thinking if I saw all of the, their rods turn to snakes too, and there's my one and all of theirs, gulp, where's the back door? And Moses might say, there's not one. And I might say, reckon where do they want one? Right? We can make a door. God's going to have to make a way. Can you imagine what it must have been like if I'm Aaron and I'm watching my snake against their 20 and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? And all of a sudden, my snake gulps up all of theirs. You think by that point, I might be feeling pretty good about things. 
At that point, I might be saying, Pharaoh, did you see that? Our God just made a statement. There is a lawsuit going on right now that has to do with the transgender issue. You know what's happening? In high school sports, there are boys that are saying, I identify as a girl. Now, they're biological males. And they are demanding to have uh, the uh, uh, permission to play on girls' teams. Now, you and I both know there's a reason why they divide up girls' sports from boys' sports. The boys are physically stronger. So what's happening now when a guy comes up, and here he is, six foot three and weighs 230 pounds, and he goes over and says, I identify as a girl, and so he competes with the girls. Who's going to win? Probably almost every time. And some of the girls are saying, wait a minute, this isn't fair. And they're filing a lawsuit against that. And you know what I... Wow. You know what I think of when I think of that? Lord, may the confusion that the enemy has sown be turned back on them so that everything they do makes no sense and self-destructs. Right? And I'm thinking of it like this way. Lord, as we are preaching the Word of God this morning, and as the world is throwing down their rod and all of the snakes are coming after us, may the snake, the serpent that comes out of our rod gobble up all of theirs and may the truth prevail and may the power and the glory of God be seen through our lives can you say amen to that this is a showdown Lord flex your muscle in these evil times in these times when people think that they can get away with anything they want because God's not going to do anything oh Lord show up Manifest your power and show your power and show your grace and show your strength just like you did before Pharaoh. Let us walk in your power. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it tells us what we're supposed to do in these times. Therefore, humble yourselves. You doing that? Under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him. You doing that? For he cares for you. Now be sober and be vigilant. Keep watching because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him just occasionally, just in the morning, just when you do your warfare, quote unquote. Nope. Steadfast all day long, every day in every situation. Resist him in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Your problems are nothing new and you're not the only one going through them. Quit whining about it. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Some of you need to settle down. That's what God does through suffering. Verse 11, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. That's what the world needs to know. Yeah. But it's really what we need to know. We're the problem. We're the ones that need to be perfected and established and, and settled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is about his glory. In these confusing times, we don't know what God is going to do. And if we do, we don't know when. 
And we've got to quit acting as though it's up to us and that it's about our side winning. For the Christian, it's not about whose lives matter. It's about living for the glory of God. And in these times, God's glory is really what matters. You know, people say black lives matter. Amen, they do. Other people say all lives matter and they get in trouble for that. Beyond me why that would be controversial. But I want to say for the child of God, it's really not about that. Here's the thing that we end on. Whatever time we live in, whether it's times like Moses or the times like ours, here's what it boils down to. God's glory matters. God's glory matters. And if you know him, then that's where you need to focus. On the glory of God. The God who controls his servants. The God who controls kings. The God who controls the calendar. And the God who controls the supernatural. God's glory matters. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord. I think there are people here in this room that would say amen to this statement. The most wonderful thing that ever happened to us. Is when our souls were saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that an amen? Oh, it's so wonderful. You say, how does that happen? When you repent of your sins and you believe the gospel. And the gospel is that a heavenly father sent his own son to come to earth. And that son, Jesus, God in human flesh, lived a perfect life. He was an example, oh, but so much more than example. And he wasn't just a martyr who happened to end up on the wrong side of the Romans and was nailed to a cross. That was the plan of God to pay for your sins. And he rose from the dead three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Why? Because he's the king we're speaking of here. And he's conquered all things, physical and spiritual. He is Lord of all. And if you will turn from trusting in yourself, your good works, religion, whatever it may be, and come to him and say, I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell, but I believe that you sent your son to die in my place, that he took my punishment and that he was raised from the dead and I surrender to him as Lord. The Bible gives you a promise. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you call upon him today? He is the king and he is the Lord. And we would love to help you. You can call us here at the church office. Uh, You can get a hold of us through our website. Uh, We'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Because we love you and we care about you. And we are here to proclaim that a loving God has conquered everything. He is firmly in control. Trust in him because Jesus is Lord. Amen and amen. Father, would you bless the preaching and the singing of your word today. Exalt Jesus Christ. Get our hearts to where we have full, firm assurance of faith in you and in you alone. And may it all be for your glory because God's glory matters. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so 